Proverbs chapter 6 and also uh, the end of Proverbs chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 7 in our time together here this morning. This indeed this morning is our last message on the book of Proverbs as we have been journeying through this over the last four and a half months, examining the call that God gives to us to seek wisdom, to yearn for wisdom, to listen to wisdom, and through that to know God and to know him more. Specifically here today, we are examining the second, um, the second message in Proverbs on sexuality and human sexuality and God's design for that. Last time, two weeks ago, looking at the goodness of God's design for sex and sexuality and also the calling for us to preserve that and protect that. Here in these chapters this morning, in the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7, we'll be examining the wisdom that God gives us to make us sexually wise particularly as it comes to resisting and avoiding sexual temptation. I do want to point out that as we look at these two, these two chapters here this morning, these come in the midst of the ten, uh, there's ten opening discourses to the book of Proverbs. And of the ten opening discourses, which really set up the rest of the book of Proverbs, six of those discourses are on the need for wisdom, searching for wisdom, and how wisdom leads you to a deeper knowledge of God. Six of them cover that. One of them is a little bit ad hoc, touches on a bit, bit of everything else. And then three, the three remaining discourses that set up the book of Proverbs as a whole, the three remaining discourse, discourses, all of them, focus on sexual wisdom and sexual conduct inside of marriage and outside of marriage. It's a fairly remarkable statement that of setting up the entire book of Proverbs, the things that are addressed, six of them, are on knowing God and seeking wisdom. And three of them are on growing in sexual wisdom in particular. Here this morning as we begin to look at this and how to become, grow in our sexual wisdom and becoming sexually wise, um, here this morning we'll be looking at six different exhortations that this passage gives us in these chapters of Proverbs. So pray with me as we be open to God's word. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would indeed give us wisdom. Lord, we seek you, we seek your wisdom for our life, to be shown in our life, to be known in our life, to be experienced in our life, to be radiated in our life, and Lord, we ask that here this morning that you would be honored to do that for the glory of your name. We bless our time, we pray, amen. The first exhortation here is to walk in wisdom. It's an exhortation that we have seen again and again and again almost every week as we have been exploring the book of Proverbs on different topics such as speech and marriage and parenting and family and work and vocation, this call again and again to walk in wisdom. We see it here, this call as well, in these verses before us. Chapter 6, verses, verse 20. Excuse me a second. Can you put me on the second slide? Thanks. Chapter 6, verse 20 to 22. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you are awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching of light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. The calling here is to walk in wisdom. If we go back and look at the beginning of this, notice how the call begins. My son, 
Keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Notice who is speaking and who is being talked to. These opening discourses about sex, sexual conduct, wisdom, seeking God, living in wisdom, are spoken by a parent to unmarried children. The the discourse that we looked at two weeks ago in Proverbs 5 was spoken by a parent, presumably also to his unmarried sons. And the assumption here of Proverbs is that wise parents, Proverbs assumes that wise parents, a wise father and a wise mother, that both of them and also each of them will be instructing their unmarried children in sexual wisdom and the wiles of sexual temptation both inside their own heart and outside in the world around them. Proverbs assumes that a father and a mother, that both of them together and individually, that both of them will be teaching their children about sexual conduct outside of marriage and about sexual conduct inside of marriage. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Why specifically was this exhortation of a father and a mother to their son given here? Well, end of verse 24 tells us that. It says, to keep you, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. What he is saying here as he begins is saying, My son, listen, your mother and I are striving to make you sexually wise so that you, as in all areas of your life, that you indeed would walk in wisdom. For it is wisdom that would guide you. It is wisdom that calls to you. It is wisdom that would lead you at every moment, every day. And like every other aspect of wisdom, the best advice and the best wisdom that I teach to you is useless unless you thoroughly take it into your heart and translate it into your habits, and those habits lead you to actually take the step and to walk in wisdom. It's reiterated again in the beginning of chapter 7. My son... Keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight, your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. The calling again to walk in wisdom. Here it uses these these expressions that wisdom and these commandments, which the commandments of the parents are the commandments that God has passed on to them about wise living and living in accord with God's design. It uses this image here of keeping these commandments, one, as the apple of your eye. The apple of your eye, maybe you didn't know that was a biblical expression, but it is. And what it refers to is this is that the apple of your eye was a reference to a person's pupil. And the phrase a little bit more literally was the little man in your eye. And the idea was is that when you look at another person's eye, that you can see your reflection in their eye, usually in the center of their eye. And the language is very similar, and that became in Hebrew to be known as the, known as the apple of your eye. So what is the sage saying here? What is the father saying? He's saying, listen, my son, listen, my children. May these things, may my commands, may sexual wisdom here specifically in this passage, may it always be before you. May it be the apple of your eye. May it be the lens through which you see and understand and interpret everything else in the world around you. My son, may insight and wisdom be your intimate friend. May you know it well. Why does this exhortation happen again? You've heard it from me every week that we've done this. Why is it that this exhortation comes again and again? It is because wisdom does not just happen for you. 
It is not our heart's inclination, but it is something that must be sought after and cultivated and nurtured and lived in practice. You don't just fall into a wise life, but it is a life that is practiced by deliberately seeking out wisdom and choosing to walk in wisdom. And here in the context of this passage, specifically to keep you from sexual sin and sexual perversion. So the first exhortation given is to walk in wisdom. Secondly, to walk in wisdom, the Proverbs here urge us to discern the tactics of temptation. And in the discourse that follows, there's eight different tactics that we're going to address here this morning in the tactics of temptation. And they all begin with the letter S. This will be A through H, uh, all beginning with the letter S. Is that confusing? I think that was. We'll go one through eight on them. My bad. Um, so, Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 7, as we see the tactics of temptation beginning here. For at the window of my house, the Father says, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. The first indication, the first two S's that we're looking at in the tactics of temptation is understanding the people who are involved in this. First off, the simple. And it references that I have seen a young man among the simple. That the simple in Proverbs are those who are anyone that doesn't really have a particular direction in life. That they are undecided about where their life is going in the fundamental orientation of who they are in relationship to God their creator. That the simple are those as anyone who is, you know, I'm just curious to explore temptation. You know, I've heard these things are out there. You know, I know, yeah, that these things that are wrong, you know, that they, oh, yeah, there's a potential danger, but, you know, I just, I just really feel that I need to know what this is about. Everyone else is talking about it. And as he either unintentionally, which is rare, or intentionally wanders into place of temptation wanting to know a little bit more, It is there that both the place and the time join forces against him. The opportunity and the occasion come together where he is at the wrong place and at the wrong time. If you talk to wise Christian men and women here in our own midst, the experience of Proverbs in these few verses of Proverbs, they can reiterate their own stories. Stories of how many people they have seen in their own lives, people that they have loved, people that they have known, who stupidly put themselves in positions of temptation. People who willingly avail themselves of temptation and say, oh, I'm just checking it out, and set themselves up for these epic falls. Those are the, the challenges there of the simple. The next one here is the seductress. And as Proverbs chapter 7 talks about the simple and the seductress, and here, that can be either a literal person who is a woman who is a literal seductress, but it's also you can be understood figuratively as a, as a personification of sin. The other thing that we need to understand to this is that this is, applies to both men and women, as either being the seductress or the seducer or the seducee in either one of it. It goes either way. Just the characterization of it is of as a seductress and as this young man, but it applies equally to each one of us. And so while the simple is wandering around saying, oh, I'm just checking this out, and while he may be aimless, the seductress is not. Temptation and seduction and sin is not aimless. It is purposeful and it is targeted at us and towards us. It is true of our own hearts. 
that the sinfulness in our own hearts manipulates and justifies and distorts our reality in order to get us to sin. That's our own hearts. It's also true of other people who are seeking someone out to sin with them. Is that as they seek them out, while the person may be, the simple may be wandering aimlessly, the other person, the seductress, is not aimless. There is a specific goal and a specific target to bring you down and to get you involved in these things. You see this too in, for example, in the internet. Take the analytics of our, of our modern marketing system and how the analytics of our modern marketing system is customized for every click that you make and how the porn industry has customized and has targeted you specifically, not abstractly, but you specifically, and has targeted you on the slippery slope that you would click on this advertisement, and that would lead you to another website, and then that website would lead you to another one, and click, 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 click on your way down through that. It is not an aimless wandering. While you may be aimless, temptation and seduction is not. Not only that, but Scripture tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What does that mean? It means that the devil is waiting to pounce and to devour you. It is waiting for some wandering, aimless soul to come across his gaze so that he might devour you. And so while the simple might aimlessly wander into temptation or aimlessly seek it out, the seductress does not. Notice the description of the seductress in these verses as well. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, in every corner, she lies in wait. The description here of the seductress, which is our second S, um, the seductress is that she is wily of heart. What does that mean? The Hebrew there literally means that she is guarded of heart. That she is secretive of heart. That she is hard. Her heart is hard. It is closed. Her heart is guarded. That sex is given, but she herself is guarded. You see, there are men and women who quite simply do not know what a relationship is. Period. They do not know what it is. There are men and women who are distorted into thinking that a relationship is defined and articulated by the physical expression between two different people. And all the while, they are guarded of heart behind thick walls of secrecy, of hurt, of hardness that nobody else will touch. And if you're here this morning and that is you, that you are guarded of heart, that you are hard of heart, there is wisdom And there is a relationship that will change your heart that comes through Jesus Christ. That he takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. That he takes hearts of stone that have been hardened and calloused by sin committed and sin done to them. And he turns them into hearts of flesh. And that is there for you. So those are our first two people, the simple and the seductress. What are some of their tactics? Well, the seductress... The seducer, the first tactic, is the element of surprise. Now in every street, now in the market, in every corner, she lies in wait. Verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she speaks to him and says to him, which we'll see in a minute. What is she doing? The tactic, 
to discern the, tac- the tactic of temptation is sort of the element of surprise, to catch the person off guard, to exploit the mixture of their thoughts and their desires, what's happening, where am I, is this really going on, and to exploit that. After the element of surprise, there is the element of, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's a special occasion. In ancient Hebrew language, that special occasion sounded like this. I had to offer sacrifices today, and I've paid my vows. And now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. It's a special occasion. It's just this one time. I've had a rough week. You've had a rough week. Nobody, you know, it's just fine. You know, it's prom night after all. I'm all dressed up with nowhere to go. It's a special occasion. Why not? It would be unthinkable to refuse, would it not? It's just this one time. Don't worry about it. There's the surprise and then the justification that it's a special occasion. This also is followed by next S, which is smooth talk. See this in verse um, 21, and it says this. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with her smooth talk, she compels him. The speech of the seductress is the most frequent phrase to describe her. We saw it in chapter 2 when we began this series four and a half months ago. We see it in these, both of these discourses that the seductress is the one from the smooth tongue of the adulteress to keep you from the forbidden woman, the adulteress with her, smooth, with her smooth words. What's it indicating here? Is that the battle of temptation is fought in our words and it's fought in our hearts and it's fought in the things that are said and the things that we think. And that's where the battle of temptation is, is fought. And the ta- one of the tactics of, tactics of temptation is the surprise, it being a special occasion, the smooth and the smooth talk. Several more. Next tactic of temptation is sensuous appeal. This is what it sounded like in ancient Israel. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. What she's saying is that I'm going to give you an experience unlike anything you've ever imagined, seen, felt, tasted, touched, your wildest dreams. It's all right here. It's a sensuous appeal that's being given. And what justifies the sensuous appeal is our next S, number seven, which is secrecy. Verse 19, the seductress says this, For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He, he will, at full moon, he will come home. What she's saying is this, listen, nobody's going to know. It'll be okay. No one's going to know. No one's going to find out. No one's going to see anything. Nobody's going to say anything. No one's going to find out about this. My husband's gone. He's gone for a long time. It's just you and me. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to know. It's that same sort of secrecy that's tempting on our computers. You say, you know what? No one's going to find out. Nobody's watching. I'm just by myself. And plus the fact I know how to clear out the cache on my computer. I know how to erase my history. I know how to delete my websites. I know how to uninstall my whole operating system and reinstall it. I know how to do all those things. And there it is, the secrecy. And the lie between all these things, between the surprise, the special occasion, the smooth talk, the sensuous appeal, the secrecy, the lie in all these things is to say physically, I am giving myself completely to you. And yet, to withhold your relationship, to withhold yourself spiritually, relationally, and emotionally. And to say physically what you are holding back, emotionally, physically, relationally, and in your commitments, is a lie that destroys you and destroys the other person. It's a lie. 
And that, leads, and that lie leads us to the eighth tactic of temptation when it all mounts its offense. And the eighth tactic and where this all ends is in the slaughter, verse 22 through 23. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver and as a bird rushes into its snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. The key phrase there is, all at once. It's the picture of the sudden yielding that comes from indecision. It's the picture of the sudden yielding that comes from saying, I'm just checking it out. I can resist. I'm strong enough. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm an adult. I'm grown up. I'm mature enough. I'm able to make my own decisions. And all at once, a person gives in. They say, well, well, I've gone this far. If I've already gone this far, why not? You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And that sudden yielding that comes from indecision that leads a person to the slaughter. Now, why is it that Proverbs lays out these various tactics of temptation, looking at the simple, the seductress, the element of surprise, the special occasion, the smooth talk, the sensuous appeal, the secrecy, and the resulting slaughter? Why does Proverbs lay this out? It's so that we would grow in wisdom, so that we would grow in discernment, So that we, when being tempted, whether a guy or girl, whether the seductee or the seductor, at either end, that we would see through the facade. That we would see the sensuous appeal and say, wait a second, this is not what it appears to be. There is more at stake than going on here than what meets the eye. Sin and seduction is deceptive deceptive and manipulative, and its goal is to take you down. And Proverbs is laying out these tactics of temptation so that you would grow wise and identify them and turn and walk in the path of wisdom. That's our first two. Walk in wisdom, discern the tactics of temptation. Third major exhortation here is to guard your heart. How do you deal with sexual temptation? Is to guard your heart. Verse 25, chapter 6. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, and a, but, a married, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. The Hebrew usage of heart is broader than what we have. We usually define the heart as the center of our emotions. The Hebrew usage included that, but it also included that the heart was the, the center of our intellect. It was where your mind was. It was where your sense of being and personhood resided. And he's saying, do not desire her in your heart. Don't gaze on her eyelashes. Don't ponder, don't ponder this person. Don't take a second look. Don't say, oh, you know, I wonder, did I really just see? Is that really the... Don't wander. Don't wonder about these things. Don't become fixated on her eyelashes or a, a pretty or sensuous characteristic of what this ideal man or ideal woman is for you. What is it that a wise man does when he sees a beautiful woman? What a wise man does is this, is he says, wow, she's beautiful and irrelevant. Beautiful and utterly irrelevant to me. And to take my eyes off of her, my mind and my heart off of her, because I am guarding my heart and... I'm guarding my heart and not fixating upon anyone or anything in my own heart. Temptation is cheap. Sin is costly. Guard your heart. Fourth one, 
is um, walk in wisdom, discern the tactics of temptation, guard your heart. Number four, contemplate the consequences. We see this in verse 27 and 29. Actually, this is iterated multiple times in these two chapters. It says this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet and not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. It's the rhetorical question. Can, can a person carry fire on their chest and not get burned? Can a person light their clothes on fire and not have pain and searing and scarring? No, the pain, searing, and scarring is inevitable. Contemplate the consequences. He iterates this again in verses 30 through 35, where we're not going to dive into it too, too deeply, but our community groups are going to in their discussions this week. In verses 30 through 35, the father contrasts the sin and consequences of stealing with the sin and consequences of adultery. And what he identifies there is that how adultery and sexual sin is different is that when a person is offended, you've offended your spouse, you've offended somebody else's spouse, you've offended your future spouse, what have you. When a person is offended, and there is always an offended person in sexual sin, when a person is offended... The consequence is unsatiable. Verse 34 puts it this way, Jealousy, for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Is that if you have committed a sexual sin and if you have offended somebody with a sexual act, what Proverbs is saying, here's just the course of humanity, if you have committed a sexual sin, what to expect is do not, for, do not expect forgiveness. Do not expect forgiveness from your spouse. Do not expect forgiveness from the other person's spouse. Do not expect forgiveness from the other people that you have committed this, this with. What you should expect is revenge. That's the consequence. That's what you should expect. And yes, God would call us to work through forgiveness of even of those for people who have, experienced, who have been offended by sexual sin or been the marriage has been violated by adultery. Yes, they're called to work through forgiveness. But too often when people have committed sexual sins, they're like, well, I asked for forgiveness. I don't understand why this person's so mad. And what Proverbs is saying, expect revenge. That's the, that's, the, that's the natural response. You don't get that response in stealing, but you get it when it comes to adultery and sexual sin. It's not where they should stay, but that's the response to be expected. And of course, as Proverbs urges us and gives us this warning, Scripture gives us the bigger picture that, yes, for those who have had affairs, those of you who have had affairs, that, yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is healing. Yes, there is restoration for you, for yourself, for your relationship. But Proverbs is giving a warning to not go there, to contemplate the consequences. And in people that I've talked to that have had affairs, never have I heard someone say, you know what, that was a really good decision. Never had I heard say, that was one of my better acts of wisdom. But what I have heard people say is, if only if I could have those moments back. If only I could have that day back. If only I, if only I could replay and erase and change those particular, those particular series of events. If only I could have that back because of the consequences and the searing and the burning and the scarring that has occurred in my life, in the lives of my loved ones, in the life of this other person. 
And Proverbs is saying, contemplate the consequences. That's two different examples of it where it's urging that. It actually does so a third time in verses 24 through 27, where it says this. And now, my sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. You hear the yearning of the father to guide his son in sexual wisdom. He says, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. He says, for many a victim she has laid low, contemplate the consequences, look past the temptation and see the casualties in the chambers of death, look past the temptation and see the burning, see the searing, see the scarring, look past the temptation and see the consequences of marriages and families that have been hurt and destroyed by unfaithfulness, look past and see the consequences of jobs that have been lost hearts that have been singed, loved ones that have been burned, whether through active relationships or through pornography and the effects of that in a relationship. Look past these things and contemplate the consequences and contemplate these consequences so that you would turn from them and walk in wisdom. Number five, very practical advice for dealing with sexual temptation is keep away from sexual temptation. My brain buster for the day. Verse 25. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Literally, don't go there. In your heart, don't even let your heart turn there. Stay away from people and places and times when you will be tempted. To put it, you know, find playgrounds and playmates that will help you walk in sexual wisdom and keep away from it. And the final advice is, given here in Proverbs, actually in the whole of Scripture, related to this area of avoiding sexual temptation and living in sexual wisdom. So we saw us to walk in wisdom, to discern the tactics of temptation, to guard your heart, to contemplate the consequences, to keep away from sexual temptation. And the final advice to deal with sexual temptation is this, is get married to Jesus. It's to get married to Jesus. For our culture around us is telling everyone, and the narrative, the storyline that is being broadcast, is that marriage and the institution of marriage is just the latest development in human social progression. That marriage is just the latest institution as humankind has evolved forward from a little piece of slime into two different organisms and gender identification developed and genders came together and that went from multiple partners and on to monogamy. That this is just the latest evolution of this, of this social development. And today, marriage needs to evolve again. Marriage needs to progress again. It needs to move on further, just like it has been doing for thousands of years. And Scripture says, no, your sexuality matters, not as the progress of some social development, but your sexuality matters because you are the bride of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. After Paul gives this long discourse about the relationship between a husband and wife and the sacrificial relationship that a husband is to to give himself up for his bride, Paul says, listen, this mystery of marriage, 
this mystery of male-female sexuality joined together in marriage is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What that means is that it's not about you and your sex, it's about you and God. And so, thank you. And so what that means is that the Bible is the ultimate story. It is the ultimate divine romance of the Son of God coming down to win to himself a bride from the wrong side of town who's been living a wayward wife. That the Bible is the story of the heavenly groom who pursues after you his bride, who loves you, who seeks you, who searches for you, who calls out to you, who redeems you, who gives himself up for his bride and for you so that the ultimate groom can marry you. And that is why your sexuality matters. Whether you are single or whether you are married, get married to Jesus Christ first. And unless you understand that, unless you understand your need to be married to Jesus Christ, unless you understand that, you will neither be happily married nor will you be happily single. Because God designed sexuality as a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. That our sexuality is a picture of the relationship between Jesus the groom and the church the bride. What does that mean? Well, Paul says here that the two shall become one flesh, and this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What he's identifying is that every act of sexual wisdom... Every act of sexual wisdom, whether that is the right celebration of sex and sexuality, whether that is walking in sexual wisdom and avoiding that and avoiding avoiding inappropriate sexual expressions. What Paul is identifying here in Scripture as a whole is that through every act of sexual wisdom that you demonstrate and live, through every act, you yourself should know and other people who know you should know who God is by your sexual conduct that other people should know how great our God is and who our God is and the character of our God by the expressions and acts of sexual wisdom in your life. That your life would show, that your sexuality would show that Jesus is faithful, that he came, that you would have an abundant life, that Jesus does not reject you for the next hottest thing, that he doesn't use you, he doesn't manipulate you for selfish satisfaction, but instead that Jesus, the ultimate groom, rescues you and delights in you and covers your shame and your ugliness and covers you with his beauty and righteousness. And he loves you and he teaches you not only what a relationship is, but he teaches you what love is. And it is for that reason that your sexuality matters. And it matters not only between you and God and why it matters to God himself, but it matters to every one of us, to each other, meaning your sexuality and your sexual expressions matter to me. Because your sexual expressions are to be a a voice and a picture and a proclamation to others, appropriately done so, proclamation to others of who our God is and the character and the nature of our God. In the early church, one of the first books that was written, first defense of the Christian faith was written by a guy named Justin Martyr. He was named Justin Martyr because he was martyred. And he wrote um, two apologies. They were called Apologies, Defenses of the Christian Faith. And people were saying Christianity isn't real. It's not true. And it was a sex-saturated culture that he was living in. And Justin Martyr said, do you want to know that Christianity is true? 
examine the sexual conduct of our church. He said, examine the sexual integrity of our Christians who are single and examine the sexual integrity of the Christians who are married and you will know that God is real by their sexual wisdom. What an amazing statement that he was inviting the watching world to come and to examine the sexual conducts of Christians so that the watching world would know that God is true, that God is faithful, and that God is real. And that is why your sexuality matters to each one of us and your sexuality matters to God. You see, Proverbs is calling us to seek wisdom in all areas of our lives, to walk in wisdom, to walk in wisdom, to discern the tactics of temptation, to guard your heart, to contemplate the consequences, to keep away from sexual, to keep away from sexual sin, and to get married to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate groom and who died to rescue and to marry his bride. And that is why your sexuality matters. And so Proverbs calls us in all areas of life, and this one in particular, to seek wisdom that is to seek God. To know wisdom, that is, to know God and to know Jesus and become wise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is a bit awkward for us to think that our sexual conduct is to express and be a picture of our relationship with you. For many of us, we hear that and we think, how weird. And Father, we confess to you that that's just an expression of the distortion of of your sexual design in our lives and in our culture and our world around us. Father, we confess to you that you're the goodness of sexuality, that your design of it, designed to be a picture between Christ and the church, your faithfulness, your love, your self-sacrifice. Father, that has become so twisted, perverted, and distorted. And so, Lord, we cry out to you that you would send your Holy Spirit to redeem and to renew and to restore. Father, that you would send your Spirit to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh for hearts that have been wounded and hurt by things they've done and things that have been done to them. Lord, that you would remove anger and replace it with forgiveness and grace. Lord, that you would renew and restore and revive the marriages in this room. That you would preserve and protect and you would revive the abundant life that you have promised for those who are single and even for those who are called into singleness forever. Lord, we pray that your spirit would work in us, that we would be sexually wise, and that your sexual wisdom expressed in our lives would broadcast to all that you are God, that you are our Savior, and our Rescuer, and our Redeemer, and our Provider, and our Lover, and the one who watches over us and cares for us. Lord, would you do that, that you would be honored and glorified? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.